I'm excited to be able to share with you from God's Word this morning. If you have your Bible, I'll invite you to turn that to Daniel chapter 9. Um, and we'll look at the book of Daniel, several different passages in there. And we'll also look at Matthew chapter 9 later on in the service. As you are, as you are turning there, I want to mention a couple things to you. Uh, if you are not involved in a life group here at Dawson, if you're not involved in one of our Sunday morning life groups, um, we, we want to invite you to be a part of one of those. If you're not plugged into one, we believe that that is where spiritual transformation takes place best, is when you are gathered in Bible study uh, with, other, with other believers, same age, stage, same stage of life, and that you have the opportunity to be gathered together in Bible study on Sunday mornings to encourage one another, to pray together, and to, to, be, to be doing this Christian life in community. So we want to invite you to be a part of one of those. And a great opportunity that you have coming up to plug into one of these is to start with our New Beginnings in the Word Bible study. That will be on January 15th and January 22nd. It will meet on Sunday mornings during our life group time. It will be led by Nancy Harton, and it will be an opportunity for you to learn how to study the Word of God, how to study the Bible on your own so that it equips you to be able to do that. And it'll meet for two weeks. It'll also meet on Wednesday nights, January 11th and January 18th. It's a two-part a two series. So I invite you to be a part of that, and then we can get you plugged into a life group from there if you are not already. I know any of our staff would love to talk with you about getting plugged into a life group. And so we, we want to have the opportunity to do that. So I'll invite you to, to find a life group to get plugged into and maybe start with that Bible study, New Beginnings in the Word. And there's information about that uh, in the Together, which you can find online as well. As we're looking through the Scripture this morning, if you'll minimize your screen, you can find a link to click on the Scripture and to be able to read that. Uh, along with us, because I'm, I'm going to read Daniel chapter 9, and we'll read verses 1 through 19. Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, says this, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in, in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We all have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because, you have sinned against, because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. 
the Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong, O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts. Turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, O Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open our eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the obeying of his word. Have you ever been in a prayer group where you're gathered in a small group for prayer and as people are taking turns praying and that one person prays and as they pray and you're in prayer along with them, you, you, you think as you hear them pray, you're thinking, they're praying on a level of intimacy with God that I don't have. They're praying to God in a way that, that I, I, I've never prayed to God. I've been in those prayer groups before where I feel like that, that one person or maybe it's more than one person in the group has a level of intimacy with God that I don't have yet, but a level of intimacy with God that I desire. And as we look in the book of Daniel this morning, I'm reminded of what A.W. Tozer once said. He said, the most important thing about a person is what that person thinks about when that person thinks about God. The most important thing about a person is what that person thinks about when he or she thinks about God. The way that we view God, the way that we view the creator God of the universe shapes the way that we pray. If we have a proper God-sized view of the holiness, the justice, the wrath, and the love of God, then our prayers will be bold and we'll pray with courage. But if our view of God is small, then our prayers will be weak and our prayers will be feeble. The way that we think about God shapes the way that we pray. We're going to look at the book of Daniel this morning and see how his view of God shaped the way that Daniel prayed. The book of Daniel takes place about 605 B.C. About 605 B.C. is about 10 years before Ezekiel was exiled, nearly 20 years before the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And King Nebuchadnezzar, in the book of Daniel, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes in and he begins to plunder the city of Jerusalem. And he begins to plunder the temple in Jerusalem. And that's where Daniel begins. And Daniel becomes, uh, and his friends become servants in King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. They become Jewish exiles serving in King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And that's where the book of Daniel picks up the theme or the message. One of the main messages of the book of Daniel is that God is sovereign. That God is sovereign over the past. That God is sovereign over the present. And that God is sovereign over the future. God is sovereign over all. That He is King over all. That He is the one who reigns supreme. And the Babylonians would learn something about, the, the, about God, this God of Israel in the days to come, they would learn that there is one God and that he, is, he reigns supreme, that He is ruler over all, that He reigns and rules over every ruler, over every event, over every battle, every nation, and every individual. And Daniel and his friends are going to be used to show the sovereignty and the glory of God. 
In the book of Daniel, we see that God is sovereign over the past, over the present, and over the future. We also see that God humbles the proud. God humbles the proud. King Nebuchadnezzar learned this the hard way. In Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about this, this great, big, huge tree that is majestic and is a mighty tree that seems to overpower everything in the universe and that the, the cattle, that all of the, the beasts of the field, the wild animals, that they find shelter under the tree and that the birds of the air, they perch on the branches of the tree. And this is this mighty tree, but then King Nebuchadnezzar has a vision that this tree is cut down. And he doesn't know what this vision means, and so he seeks out Daniel, who is proven to be a wise leader. And he seeks out Daniel and says, Daniel, I need you to, 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 to translate this dream for me, interpret this dream for me. And Daniel says, King, I wish I could tell you that this dream was about our enemies, but King, this dream is about you. You are that tree. And so what we read in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 4, verse 28 to 32, it says, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the dream being fulfilled. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your, ro your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle seven times, or seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives to them, it gives to them, anyone, gives them to anyone he wishes. King Nebuchadnezzar, that tree is you, Daniel says. Your authority will be taken from you because of your pride, but King Nebuchadnezzar didn't get it. He didn't understand, but then, but Daniel trusted in the power of God. Daniel trusted in the power of his God, but King Nebuchadnezzar trusted in his own power. And you and I, at our core, we are just like King Nebuchadnezzar. We are just like King Nebuchadnezzar. At our core, we lean towards self-sufficiency. We can do it on our own. We, we don't need God. We, like King Nebuchadnezzar, think that everything that we see and everything that we have is because of us. That we don't need God. We lean towards self-sufficiency and we lean towards pride that we can do it on our own. That was Nebuchadnezzar's mantra and that is the mantra of sinful man. That we can do it on our own. That we don't need God. And the goal of sinful man and the goal of King Nebuchadnezzar was to make much of himself. And the goal of a holy God is to make much of a holy God and to make much of his name and of his glory. God humbles the proud. Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 31. It says, while those words were still on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. But then look at what happens next. Look at what happens next, because God humbles the proud, but God also exalts the humble. God humbles the proud. God is sovereign over all past, present, and future. God humbles the proud, and God exalts the humble. This was a bad day for King Nebuchadnezzar. This was a bad day for King Nebuchadnezzar. He is showing Nebuchadnezzar that he is dependent on the Almighty God of the universe, that he is not in control. That great tree was cut down, and that is Nebuchadnezzar. He is not in control. God is in control, and we trust in his power. And he is to be at the center of our life. God exalts the humble. Daniel trusted in the power of God. 
Daniel throughout his life trusted in the power of God. And we see it from the beginning of the book of Daniel in chapter 1, whether it was abstaining from the king's food or wisdom to interpret dreams or living through a fiery furnace or standing up against the king or spending the night in the den of lions. Daniel trusted God and he gave him all praise. He gave him all praise. Look at what verse 34 says. King, after King Nebuchadnezzar, was his, his, his authority was taken from him. Three verses later, it says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my insanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. King Nebuchadnezzar's pride was taken from him. His authority was taken from him. He was humbled by the God of the universe because God humbles the proud, but God exalts the humble. And then just a couple chapters before this, we see God exalting the humble. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 46, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Daniel had interpreted yet another dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And keep in mind, this is before Daniel chapter 4. So King Nebuchadnezzar is still in his pride, but he recognizes that Daniel has power from God to interpret dreams, and that he has wisdom that comes from God. And so Daniel trusted in the power of God. This moment in Daniel chapter 2 is incredible. The most powerful king in the world at this time, the most powerful king in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar, is bowing at the feet of an exile from Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar is giving praise to the God of Daniel. To have God at the center of our life means that we are totally dependent on him that we are totally dependent on Him and that we're totally dedicated and devoted to the praise of God. And this leads to God-centered praying. This year at Dawson, we are focused on growing in the spiritual discipline of prayer and the spiritual discipline of fasting, and they are one. They go together. There's no fasting without prayer. So fasting goes right alongside prayer. And we're going, we want to grow in those disciplines. And so the question that we have to ask at this point is, do we pray as though God is sovereign? Do we have a proper view of the sovereignty of God? As Bill talked about last week, that we have a proper view of who God is, that we pray to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we have a proper view of who God is, that He is one God in manifest in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that we have a proper, God, proper view of who this God is, that He is the sovereign God of the universe, that He is control of everything, past, present, and future. And Daniel knows that. And so do we pray as though God is, is sovereign and at the center of our life? But there's also a dangerous, dangerous temptation that comes to us when we dwell and think about the sovereignty of God. Because it'd be very easy for us to say, well, if God knows He's sovereign over the past, He's sovereign over the present, He's sovereign over the future, then why do we need to pray? If God already knows what's going to happen, then why do we need to cry out to Him in prayer? Why do we need to, to make requests of Him and petitions of Him? Why do we need to praise Him? He is God. He's sovereign. Why, why does He need us to pray? And why do we need to pray to him. It'd be very easy for us to fall into that temptation and to ask that question. Does the sovereignty of God make prayer unnecessary? And what we see in the book of Daniel, that this book that puts on, on display so clearly the sovereignty of God, we see that it also emphasizes so powerfully 
the power and the necessity of prayer. Yes, it shows us the sovereignty of God in this book. That's one of the main messages of this book, but it also shows and emphasizes so clearly the power and the authority and the necessity of prayer in our life as followers of Christ. And we see this in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, again, Daniel knows that God is sovereign. He knows that God is sovereign, and he is put in charge. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, it says, It pleased King Darius. So this is the third king that Daniel has served. There was King Nebuchadnezzar, then there's King Belshazzar, and now it's King Darius, and Daniel is serving him. It says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel has rule. He's in his 80s at this point, and he has rule and authority and position and power second only to the king. He is the most prominent of these three presidents, and the king planned to give, give him the kingdom, his position in the kingdom is great. And because of this, the other leaders in the kingdom are going to set a trap to catch Daniel. They're jealous of Daniel. And they want the authority and the power that Daniel has. So they're going to set a trap. And they know the only way they can catch him is to trap him in his integrity and his faithfulness to his God, the sovereign God, the creator God. They know that that's the only way that they can catch him. So they devise a plan to catch Daniel. So they go to the King Darius and they say, King Darius, we need you we need you to make a decree that no one is to pray to any God other than you or any man other than you. And if they do, King Darius, they need to be thrown into the den of lions and killed. King Darius, you need to make this decree. So King Darius makes the decree. And as soon as that document is, is, is signed, what does Daniel do? He goes to his house and he prays three times a day with the windows open to Jerusalem, just as he had always done just as he had always done. And so like Daniel, we are called to pray consistently. As we focus on prayer this year, we are called to pray consistently. It says that Daniel prayed three times a day, every day with his windows open towards Jerusalem. Even in, the, in, in, in spite of this decree that the king has issued, Daniel knows that he doesn't answer to the authority of the king. He answers to the authority of the sovereign God of the universe. And so Daniel goes up to his room upstairs with the windows open toward Jerusalem, just like he had always done. And he prays three times a day with consistency. Daniel prayed consistently and we are called to pray consistently. And we need to have a plan of, of when we're going to pray. We need to make sure that we schedule that time so that we can pray consistently. We set aside that time early in the morning or late in the evening or at lunch, whenever that is that we set aside that time to pray. But why, why would Daniel do this? Why, why would Daniel pray? What, if God is sovereign and Daniel knows that, why risk your life, Daniel? Why risk your life? And go up to your room and pray because Daniel knows that prayer is a God-ordained means to accomplish God-ordained ends. Prayer is a God-ordained God means to accomplish God-ordained ends. That God has a plan and we are called to be a part of that plan. He has an end and a purpose which is His glory, to make His glory known because He is the sovereign God of the universe. And He will do this as His people pray and seek Him and know Him, and petition to Him to make His glory known. We are active participants in God's plans. We are not bystanders. We're not spectators of what God is doing. 
We don't sit back and just, oh, well, God's in, in control. He's going to do it. No, we pray and we seek God and we praise Him. We are devoted to His praise. We are active participants in God's sovereign plans. We pray and we participate too with in, and for that sovereign. God, Daniel prayed consistently and we pray with courage. Daniel prayed with courage. So we pray consistently. We pray with courage. Daniel knows what will happen to him. He knows what the decree says. He knows that he'll be thrown into the lion's den if he's caught praying, but he prays anyway. He, fa- he prays anyway with his windows open, just as he had always done. Just as he has always done. To da- Why would Daniel do this? To Daniel, prayer is more precious than life. Prayer is more precious than life, church family. Church family, my fear is that that is not true of us. That is not true of us, that for, for many of us, the world and things of the world have a hold on us, and we desire those things more than we desire intimacy with God. We desire those things more than we desire intimacy with God. Our yearning for things of the world is more than our yearning for things of God. But Daniel was willing to pray consistently and pray with courage in spite of this decree from the king because he To him, intimacy with God through prayer was more precious to him than his own life. May that be true of us. May 2017 be the year that we say we desire intimacy with God. We desire to pray and to seek God and to be a part of his sovereign plans. And not just to sit back and be spectators, but for for our desire for intimacy with God to be more precious to us than life itself. Daniel prayed consistently. He prayed with courage. And then we see that Daniel prayed with brokenness. In the passage we read in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, the first three verses, Daniel prays with brokenness. We, we see, he says, I, I understood from the Scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So Daniel understands that's God's plan. God is sovereign. That, the desolation of Jerusalem is going to last 70 years. But Daniel pleads with God. It says, so I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with Him. Verse 3, in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes, Daniel pleads with God that God would have mercy on his people. When we read through that prayer, we see that prayer is full of confession. Daniel is confessing to God that he and the people of Israel are sinful, that they're wicked, that they're rebellious. And he's saying, God, have mercy on us. He is longing for God to have mercy on his people. He's praying with a broken and a contrite Heart. And we know that Psalm 51, 17 says, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That we pray to God, we pray consistently, we pray with courage, and we pray with brokenness, knowing that a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. That we come before God in confession, saying, God, we, we are not worthy to pray to you. We have sinned against you, but God, we thank you for sending Jesus, your Son, so that we can be made right with you and we can have communion with you and we can talk with you and we can listen to you that we have the opportunity and the privilege to pray to God so Daniel prayed consistently he prayed with courage he prayed with brokenness and we're called to do the same we see that Daniel fasts and he prays he fasts and he prays why why did Daniel fast if we look at Matthew chapter 9 verses 14 through 17 we see Jesus talk a little bit about fasting He says in verse 14, Matthew chapter 9, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. 
No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. What Jesus is teaching about fasting here is that John's disciples are like, hey, Jesus, we, we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast. And Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them. He says, that, well, there will be a time when they will fast, when I, the bridegroom, am gone from them. Then they will fast. And Jesus is differentiating between Old Testament fasting and New Testament fasting. That in the Old Testament fasting, that it was a longing and a waiting for the king to come. It was a future hope. So when Daniel is fasting and praying to God, he's fasting to strengthen his prayer. And say, God, we long for you to act on our behalf, to do something on behalf of your people. To have mercy on us. And God's ultimate display of mercy is through Jesus on the cross. So Old Testament fasting is a future hope. New Testament fasting has both a past hope and a future hope. Hope. It has a past element and a future element. The past element has to do with that we look back to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We know that Christ died for our sins. We look back to that and we fast and we praise God for that. And we have hope because of Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection that that gives us eternal life and that gives us a right relationship with God when we are separated from Him by sin. That that is the truth of the gospel. So we look back to that, but there's also a future element. There's also a future element, and that is that we anticipate and long for the return of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We live in a fallen and broken world. We live in a dark world, and we long and we fast for the return of the King. When He will put an end to sickness, to disease, to suffering, to pain, to death, and to sin, that He will come and He will make all things new. That Jesus will come and He will make all things new. The old has gone, the new has come. That He will put an end to all of those things. That He will reign forever and ever. And so we fast in this life because we believe in the life to come. And we anticipate the return of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we fast from what we can taste and see. Because we have tasted and seen the goodness of the invisible and infinite God. And we are desperately hungry for more of Him. Fasting is designed to express our desire for God and our holy discontent with a fallen world. Fasting is for those who feel truly desperate for God. Through fasting, we humble ourselves before God and acknowledge that we need Him more than we need anything in this world. That when we fast from a meal, we're saying, God, I need intimacy with you more than I need this meal. God, I need intimacy with you more than I need time watching TV. God, I need intimacy with you more than I need time on my phone or on social media. God, I need intimacy with you more than I need anything this world has to offer. That's what fasting allows us to express to God. There are spiritual purposes of fasting. One of those is strengthening prayer. In Ezra chapter 8, he called a fast. He called the people to fast as they were praying. He said, we will, there will be a fast. I proclaim a fast. And they were fasting so that they could strengthen their prayers. In Acts chapter 13, as the believers are sending off Barnabas and Saul on a missionary journey, they fast and they pray for Barnabas and Saul before they're sent off on the missionary journey. Another spiritual purpose of fasting is seeking God's guidance, that maybe there's a big decision coming up, and we need to take time to fast, to pray over that decision. God, where are you leading me? 
Another reason is expressing grief. In times of grief, we often fast or we may need to fast. Another one is seeking deliverance or protection. That we, we need God to deliver us from something or to protect us from the evil one. Expressing repentance of sin and returning to God is another spiritual uh, purpose of fasting. To express repentance, God, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against you. Another one is overcoming temptation that we need to pray and fast for God to, to deliver us from temptation and for us to dedicate ourselves to God. We saw Jesus do that when he was in the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted. He fasted and he prayed. He fasted and he prayed while he was, he was overcoming temptation. So those are some spiritual purposes of fasting. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. Just like prayer is a spiritual discipline, fasting is a spiritual discipline. So here are some very practical ways, five practical ways for us to begin to, to grow in this discipline of fasting as a church family this year. The first thing is to start small. If you've never fasted before, start with one meal. Maybe it's one meal a week for several weeks. Maybe you, maybe you decide that you're going to set aside Thursdays at lunch, whatever day you pick, Thursday breakfast, Thursday dinner, whatever that is, you, you set aside that meal and you say, I'm going to fast this one meal. I'm just going to start with this one meal, and then as the Lord leads you, you grow and fast. Maybe you do it several weeks in a row so that you can spend time in prayer seeking intimacy with God instead of eating that meal. Maybe you go somewhere and you get on your knees and spend time praying to the sovereign God of the universe with that proper view of who He is, knowing how big and how holy and how loving and how merciful and how just and how loving He is. So you, you start small. The first thing is to start small. Maybe you do a juice fast. So you abstain from all food, but you still drink juice and water. And through any fast, you should always drink water and make sure you stay hydrated. But maybe you do a juice fast. or And you start there and you build from that as the Lord leads you. Second thing that is very important is to plan what you will do instead of eating. Plan your time. Plan your prayer time or devotion time to create time to pray and to dive into God's Word. Maybe, maybe it's back to that lunch on Thursday. Maybe you say lunch on Thursday is when I'm going to fast. And so you, you, you specifically plan what you're going to do during that time. I'm going to pray for this. Maybe this season of our church, maybe you decide you're going to pray specifically for our new pastor. You're going to pray specifically for our new pastor. You're going to pray specifically for our, our pastor search team and that whole process. And that would be a great way to start, to pray for, this, for our church family. Or maybe you, you decide to sp specifically pray for lost people, that you have people you work with or people in your neighborhood or people you know that need Jesus. And so you want to fast. And there is no greater purpose of fasting than to pray for those who are separated from, from God, to pray for those people who are lost. So each fast should have a, a specific purpose. And if it doesn't have a specific purpose, then it's not a Christian fast. It's just going hungry. So plan what you'll do during that time. The third thing is consider how it will affect others. Consider how it will affect your family. If you fast from dinner several times, then you're missing time with your family. Now, maybe it's that important that you need to fast and miss time from your family. If that's the only time you can do it, maybe you're fasting to pray for your family. But consider how your fast will affect others. The fourth thing is try different kinds of fasting. Maybe you don't need to do it on your own, so you, you get a friend to fast with. And you say, hey, Back to the, the Thursday lunch example. You pray together, you get together on Thursdays, and instead of getting together for lunch, you get together specifically to pray. Maybe you come here to the church or you go somewhere where you can just get on your knees together and pray to God. And so you have accountability in that. Maybe 
in your life groups. Maybe your life group decides to do a fast. Maybe on Sunday evenings you get together as a life group and you, you, miss, you fast from dinner on Sunday evenings and you pray together. Praying for people in your life group for health needs, for physical needs, or praying for lost people for salvation. Praying for our church family, for our new pastor, praying for our government leaders. Have a specific purpose for that, but maybe you need to fast with a group. The fifth thing is fast from something other than food. Fast from something other than food. Maybe for health reasons, you don't need to fast from food. And that's, that's perfectly okay because fasting is not limited to just food. So maybe you fast from television. Maybe you fast from spending time on the computer. Maybe you fast from social media. You pick something. You pick something that you enjoy regularly that would lean your heart toward greater enjoyment of Jesus. You fast from something that you enjoy regularly. I would say fast from coffee, but I don't think that's in the Bible anywhere. But you fast from something that you enjoy regularly so that you can express and lean your heart toward greater enjoyment of Jesus. Daniel, for, for Daniel, prayer was more precious. Intimacy with God was more precious than his own life. Intimacy with God is more precious than a meal. Intimacy with God is more precious than time on the computer. Intimacy with God is more precious than watching a football game. Intimacy with God is more precious than anything this world has to offer. And so the spiritual purpose of fasting is to humble ourselves before God. Say, God, I need you more than I need anything this world has to offer. Look at how Daniel ends. Look at how Daniel ends his prayer in Daniel chapter 9. The second part of verse 18, he says, We do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Daniel ends this prayer crying out to God. O Lord, listen. O Lord, hear. O Lord, act. Do not delay. May Today, January 8th, 2017, may we have a God-sized view of God, the sovereign God of the universe. And may we lay down this mantra that we can do it. May we lay down our sinful pride. May we lay down our self-sufficiency, even like the, the wicked King Nebuchadnezzar had to do. And through prayer and fasting, call out to God in confidence, pleading with Him in prayer and fasting. Say, God, we need You. We need you more than anything this world has to offer, God. We need you. And God, our hope is in you and in you alone. Would you pray with me? God, we pray with Daniel that we don't make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Oh, Lord, listen. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear and act for your sake. Oh, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. God, as your followers, we recognize that we bear your name. God, may intimacy with you be more precious to us than life, than anything this world has to offer. God, as we seek to grow this year in the spiritual discipline of prayer and fasting, God, we look to you. We cry out to you, God, and say we need you. We need you. God, we pray that you be at work in our lives and in and through our church this year. God, we even thank you for a different setting this morning, a different way to do church. Thank you for the capability to do this, God, and ultimately thank you for your word that teaches us and instructs us.
God, we thank you mostly for Jesus, and through him we have forgiveness of sins. And we can have a right relationship with you, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.